is Teach Air, where your airwaves are taken over by two teachers who want to talk about teaching, the joy of working with children, the pains of a broken photocopier, and issues within the world of education. Teach Air aims to connect teachers with teachers. My name's Martin. And I'm Jade. And welcome to the first ever episode of Teach Air, creatively named... Uh, and where Jade and I defy the distance uh, to talk about all things teaching. Yeah, and I think before we start, it does make sense to explain what we are or what we aim to be. Um, so, shall we go for it? Yeah, let's do that. So, uh, I'm Martin. Um, I've been teaching for four years now uh, in two different countries. First, I worked just outside of Liverpool, uh, which is where Jade and I met. And then from there, after two years uh, teaching year five and year six, I moved to Doha in Qatar, the Middle East, where I've just finished my third year, worked two years in year five there. And then I've just finished my first year as head of year three, uh, which has been very enjoyable and clearly very challenging with different things going on at the moment. Uh, But that's where I am just now. An interesting one, interesting move it was. I was very sad to see you go. Um, So I've been a little bit um, of the same I've been around in two different places now so I originally started my career in Liverpool but I do come from Middlesbrough and then in 2019 I moved to Australia for nearly a year and worked within Melbourne where I worked in a private boys school which was very different to the school that I worked in when I was based in Liverpool Um, we worked quite well as a team yeah very much so I think we had uh, certainly a lot of fun in those initial Two years, uh, for those, well, most of you don't know, I, I was sort of a year behind Jade, so we followed the same path um, through t- teacher training at Matthew Arnold, and um, but I was always a year behind, so I learned a lot from, from working with Jade, but we had a lot of fun, uh, some challenges along the way, some difficult moments, but uh, yeah, it was, it was great fun, uh, and it's, I think it gave us a great grounding for, for what we then went on to do afterwards. I think so, and I think one of the benefits from working with each other is we both kind of enabled each other's, let's say, maybe daft ideas. Yeah, we're very similar in that sense, aren't we? We've been kind of yeah. pushed the box. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's good. So that's kind of who we are. All right, so I think what makes sense is to just explain why we intend to be when it comes to broadcasting teacher across our airwaves so a little while ago martin approached me and martin tends to approach me with an idea or when we've got something that's kind of big that we're thinking about would you agree yeah absolutely what what jade's trying to say there is when my idea is slightly crazy um that jade will be the person that i approach because i know that she'll say yes um say yes so that works for us um so we've decided to pursue podcasting and see where we go with that. And um, we've tried blogging before, but it's difficult to appeal to with the masses, and it requires a lot more organisation and a big budget, um, and trying to get a larger amount of people on board than really we are equipped to do right now. So podcasting takes us a bit more insular. We can rely on each other, and then we can bring in guests when we need to, which is great. Um, we both respond well. In the moment, we quite enjoy the off-the-cuff talking, um, especially when it comes to something that we're passionate about when it comes to education. So this, for us, is an ideal way to channel our enthusiasm and positivity about our profession, I'd say. We've called ourselves teacher, and our main intention, really, is to connect teachers with other teachers. It's a really important thing that we do maintain that connection with each other. I think sometimes teaching can be quite isolating when you're in a classroom on your own sometimes as the only adult. We've managed to talk to quite a few of our friends and rope in some people to join us along the ride. So in the next few weeks, you can expect to hear from friends that we've got who are currently teaching remotely due to the current crisis. We have someone who's openly LGBTQ plus within the classroom um, and that's in a high school. We have a parent who is currently finding themselves as a homeschool teacher. We've also got... um a teacher who's chasing work-life balance and someone who's chasing a dream of writing a novel whilst teaching full-time, which should be really interesting to listen to. We've also got the much highly anticipated episode where we're going to be talking about our favourite fictional school, Hogwarts. Absolutely. We are much anticipated by us. Big episode, episode five, huge. 
keep an eye out for that one. So, Martin, we've into each other. We've kind of explained that we've had a similar route into teaching and that we know each other from working within the same school a few years ago now. We've actually been apart for a couple of years, but so we can get to know you better and so our, you know, thousands of listeners yeah, eventually absolutely. will get to know you better. I'm going to ask you a few questions about yourself. If you can just answer as openly as you can. I'll do my best. Thank you. So what we're going to go for first and foremost is what's your name? How old are you? Where do you come from? <laughs> well, that sounds like blind date. Um, so, yeah, as I said, Martin Holland. I'm 31 now, which is outrageous to think that we're knocking on a bit. But uh, I'm from Southport, lived in Southport all of my life until I left uh, the school that Jade and I worked together at. Uh, to move across the world to Qatar in the Middle East, where it's very warm, very hot. Uh, I work in a British international school there uh, that's attached to the British Embassy. And, uh, yeah, I've been there for three years. I live with my housemate, Dan, who's going to appear on one of the episodes later. Um, and, yeah, that's that's sort of it. And it was an interesting move at the time. I remember I came back after Christmas a few years ago. Yeah, and we were talking about something that probably needed to be done and you were like just letting you know I'm not coming in on Friday and I was like oh yeah all right why and you're like oh I'm going to London for an interview in Qatar yeah I saw uh, Brendan Rogers and Joe Cole on the train down there first first class carriage there we go we knew we were destined for yeah. things at that moment what a day that was <laughs> so um, why teaching why why a career in education for you yeah, I, I think it was always sort of on the cards for me, really. My sister had had uh, trained to be a teacher. She did the more traditional three-year route. Um, my auntie is a teacher. Uh, it's something that I kind of always been sort of involved in when I was a fo- when I was playing football. I was usually the captain of the football team, organising people. Um, always interested in helping people and, and trying to sort of encourage people to develop and do better. Um, so. At the time when I finished university, I studied psychology and wasn't really sure what I was going to do with my career. And I ended up volunteering at, at the school and uh, just loved it from from the very first day. I remember a, a colleague of ours, Jamie, he taught, showed me around the school uh, very first thing in the morning. And I just instantly felt like I fitted in. I felt like this was the place that I needed to be. And uh, I've generally loved it ever since. And that's really positive, and I know exactly what you mean. A, about Jamie, we still talk, and despite the fact he's no longer in education. And the school just had that welcoming vibe. I always felt a bit like family there. Um, so you started training, and you went to the same university as me, which is Liverpool John Moores, and we went through a school direct route. Can you explain the difference to the traditional route that your sister went in? Yeah, so ours, ours was different in a sense. It was more like an apprenticeship, wasn't it? So we were in school a, a lot more. We were in school for certainly four days a week and then we'd go down to, to Matthew Arnold on a Friday to do some uh, training there. But uh, I felt like I was given more opportunity to just get on and teach and learn from, from the bad lessons and learn from the mistakes that we were made rather than it being purely theory-based and I think with my sister's route, she was only ever in school for a maximum of like sort of 10 weeks, uh, even on her longest placement. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the way we did it, we, we sort of came became connected to the school uh, a lot quicker. And that's why we both ended up with jobs in the school at the end of it. You know, it, it seemed like a more fluid route into NQT. I certainly felt prepared or as prepared as you possibly can for the NQT yeah. I'd almost argue as well that with the school direct route, which was quite new at the time, my year was the first year that it had been done. I almost felt like when I was then in my NQT year that I'd already done an NQT year. So the transition from training to actually being a teacher was much easier. The NQT year was arguably a little bit easier because we didn't have the assignments to do as well. Um, I would say so. I I feel like it prepared us really, really well. Now, what I wonder from you is, do you have any telltale signs where people meet you and can instantly tell that you're a teacher or do you find that when you tell people what you do they're quite surprised by no I think it's pretty obvious what what would you say I I think uh, I could definitely come across a bit teachery always kind of like I said before always kind of organizing things if there's uh, nights out happening or whatever it's usually me who's getting it getting them going Um, always been sort of a captain of the football team or the golf team Um, so yeah I think it's pretty obvious to be to be honest Um, uh, I definitely look, look and act and sound like a teacher most of the time. 
I think so. And I think it's one of those things that often you can spot a teacher from a mile off. However, when you are with other teachers and you're, for example, end of term parties or you're just out away from the school, you sometimes look at your friends and go, I can't believe we're all responsible for so much. Yeah, yeah, certainly. But I do, I, I do think more often than not, you can spot who is a teacher. Yeah, you're, you, you, you are definitely a teacher, 100%. I reckon anyone, I anyone would know. Absolutely, the biggest facet, yeah. Within, but but teaching becomes part of your life, doesn't it? So you, it, if you are going to be a teacher, it is all-consuming. So you kind of have to have that personality that's uh, driven towards nurturing people and developing people. You wouldn't last five minutes if it was something that you were doing for only money or or just for a job. You, you have it has to be all-encompassing. So uh, I think that's why people who are teachers generally do have teacher-type personality traits. I would say so. I, I do think teaching is more of a lifestyle vocation as opposed to a profession at times. I think a lot of jobs you can leave an office and switch off. Some you can't, obviously, and I don't deny that. But I think teaching is one of those all-encompassing jobs where you kind of go in having to mean it and having to know that this is it for you. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. All righty. Um, Favourite subject to teach? <sighs> Tough on that one. I, I think generally I, I do enjoy teaching maths, um, particularly working in the, in the school that I do now where there's a lot of academically very able children. Uh, working with those high-attaining high mathematicians has been really good experience for me and I've really enjoyed it. Um, so I, I think gen- on a day-to-day basis, I generally enjoy teaching maths. I think the, t- the process of teaching writing, I find harder. I would say I'm a better writer than I am a mathematician with my own talents mm-hmm. but the process of teaching writing I can find quite challenging so uh, I enjoy teaching math and then my other, my other subject would be history because we do some amazing uh, history topics I remember when we did World War Two and uh, when, when we were in year six and uh, we've done a lot of stuff on space and space history at the school that I work in now uh, the Victorians was another good one I remember when we did that dress up day that was interesting um, so yeah, I think history is probably my favourite foundation subject to teach. But, but on a day to day basis, I, I enjoy teaching maths more than more than anything else. Yeah, I can understand that. And um, what about your behaviour management? Stuff? Well, uh, some people would say I haven't got one, um, but <laughs> I I generally try and try and keep things quite positive. It's definitely adapted and changed over time. I when when we first came into the classroom, I was a lot more on it in terms of being. Uh, directing things and making sure that things happened in the way that I wanted them to, but I've become a lot more flexible. Uh, certainly in the new in the in the school that I work in now, mm-hmm. behaviour is excellent generally. Anyway, so uh, I try and manage things in a positive way. I try and make sure that we're looking at the positives rather than focusing on the things that are not going well. Talk about choices and effort uh, as being the two the two sort of buzzwords that I use quite a lot. Try and develop that holistic sense of integrity, doing the right thing because you're a good person and not for for too many rewards. Um, extrinsic and intrinsic yeah which is something we'll come to isn't it um i try and develop that that sort of internal love of of being a a good person and making choices for for the right reasons um and i think the children would probably think that i was uh not overly strict i give them you know some of the things that we used to do that still do now where they can draw on the tables as whiteboards and sit where they where they want we use a little bit of flexible seating in my new school um Mm -hmm. i think it's a uh my classroom environment is one where um, people are generally happy to be there. Um, and that's because things are not particularly strict, really. Uh, I'd say I try and do things in a more positive way than that. No, that's good. And I'd say that's something actually that I've always admired about your teaching style is that I always found your behaviour management to be quite proactive as opposed to reactive. Um obviously meaning that you tend to have things anticipated before it happens so generally behavior is very good in your room anyway um but to those listening I would say that one of my favorite behavior management styles of Martin is that Martin is very very good at a whole year group address um so for example as is standard with a lot of schools football tends to cause a lot of anguish. yeah still even no matter where you go it's, it always does and I think that's partially because you always have someone who considers themselves world-class or is pretty decent you've got some who just want to join in and you always have um, a lack of goalposts so you know you're playing with jumpers it's classic we did it ourselves and trying to play a proper football game that children try to do when you haven't got that full set of rules nor a referee 
always ends in some sort of disaster and you've always been very good at gathering 52 children in one room speaking to them on that very calm and low level voice whilst letting them know yeah, that behavior that was my, fa- my famed technique of the quiet the quiet talk the voice drops it, it, it's an impressive style and it was one that i quite enjoyed <laughs> witnessing to be fair, we had in that in that year group that we had, we had some challenging children. So straight away, you know, that first class that I had, uh, behaviour management had to be on point. It wouldn't have lasted a long time if. It... And I think, especially... and, and we always had that in those classes, didn't we? Yeah, and I'd say that for you at that point, um, it was important to note that you had the same class from your NQT year into your second year. Yeah, so it was from the beginning of year five to the end of year two. Yeah, you needed that from the very beginning because otherwise that was two years worth and, you know, that can be exhausting with the same people. Um, yeah. What about a standout memory from your career? It could be anything positive. It could be something that was difficult, <laughs> something funny, something yeah. you will never forget, ideally. Yeah, I think the, the, the obvious one uh, that stands out is the, the, the PGL trip that we went on. Um, so we did a couple, didn't we? And I think PGL were amazing. I, I love those trips. I've been on a couple of residential trips uh, since when I've been working in Doha, and they were ne- they've never been on the on the sort of scale and, and quality of that mm-hmm. of those PGL trips that we went on. They were amazing. But uh, the the story I'm going to tell, I'm sure you remember it, Jade, is um, the one where we were on the zip line, and uh, <laughs> I was coming down the zip line. I think the children used to like it when we when we'd have a go at the different activities and stuff, That's and so I was at the top of the zip line tearing my way down and and I sort of got spun around as you do you were going backwards at that point yeah yeah so as you do going going down backwards and sort of spun around and then um, the PGL instructor had had kind of asked the children to throw grass at me uh, on the way past but poor boy Jamie he'd um, he'd miscalculated quite massively (laughs) uh, where I was gonna sort of zoom past him and he just stood in my way but I couldn't see him of course and going back, backwards, uh, I couldn't get anything out of the way. So I, I caught him square in the face with my with my left heel. Uh, I hit him yeah. so hard in, in the face <laughs> with my left heel that uh, I actually hurt my Achilles. Um, obviously, you. yeah, no, it was bad. Um, his nose ended up in about three different places, uh, blood everywhere. And uh, at the time, our, our head teacher used to come for one morning, didn't she? She used to come up for one morning she of the trip, and she she used to every come. Year. Yeah, yeah, just literally coming over the hill and uh, saw it all happen. And um, as I was dangling from the zip line and everybody was around, Jamie, I thought that was it. I thought the career was done. Second year in and uh, everything was, was, was going horribly wrong. But uh, to be fair to Jamie, by the evening, he 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 sort of recovered. Uh, Mum was absolutely fine with it when we spoke to her, wasn't she? So uh, it becomes one of those amusing stories but yeah I volleyed uh, I volleyed a boy in the face uh, on a zip line so that's a sort of it's, highlight it's really isn't it? out, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that one from my perspective so I'd been with another child at that point so our group our groups had been zip lining within the same area and one of my children couldn't get out of their harness when they really need the toilet so I went to go and sort that out and as I came over the horizon all I could see was our head teacher pelting across the field and I was like <laughs> what is Ruth running for? What's going on? And I could see this crowd. So me and this child kind of picked up and we ran as well. And all I saw was one of my children from my class lying there, sprawled on the floor. And you still dangling there. And obviously yeah. it's, it's well, I, horrible. I had to stay there for ages because obviously Jamie was getting treated. So I was just sort of st- st- left dangling there for ages, really. Um, it was just yeah. before dinner as well. And I remember we got them to dinner and he'd been looked at by first aid and he'd had the light shine in his eyes and we knew he was okay. A little bit of bruising. And we discussed it as a team and we discussed with a head and we'd said, look, we'll tell his mom when we get back because he's fine and we don't want him to worry. And he was fine. He was on his like third dessert by that point. He'd like just, he had his energy back. He was laughing and joking. Yeah, loving the, loving the attention. And I looked over to you and you were just kind of like, it was like that moment in a high school film where like there's this character on the road and they're kind of shuffling <laughs> the food on the way. I and I was like, like... look, it's fine. <laughs> but, um, that, that was a big one. Absolutely a big one yeah. for you. Yeah, that that um, that, that dinner was, was a low moment really, contemplating what, what what career I would do next after after I got arrested for assault for assaulting a child. <laughs> absolutely all right um just some final quick favorites so um favorite color 
Well, it's been orange of, of late because in my new school, um, we, we do it in colours rather than like the teacher's name. So I've I've been year five orange and then year three orange. Um, and also I've been part of a salamander house, which is um, orange as well. So I've kind of adopted orange as a, as a colour at the moment, but I'm changing to year three red next year. So maybe red will, will find its way to the top again, um, yeah, which is obviously a very topical colour. Yeah. Um, uh, so can we assume that a salamander is one of your favourite animals or do you have a favourite animal? No, yeah, salamander is definitely up there now, yeah, but it's always been turtle. I've always I've always uh, loved turtles. So I think um, my dream in life is to have four of them uh, named after the Ninja Turtles as a pet. Um, not happened yet, but I'm working on it. It's something um, that can so happen. Yeah, yeah, it will, it, it will happen. Um, just when Dream i'm not it. sure and um, what about your favorite food <sighs> that's a that's a tough one actually i think uh if i was going to pick one type of cuisine to have as like sort of a celebration i generally go for mexican type of food and mm-hmm. uh, love all things nachos fajitas that type of thing so probably I, I would probably pick uh some sort of mexican meal to have uh if i was if i was on death row Maybe if we're volleying someone in the face and I was on death row, I'd probably pick Mexican as my it last was, meal. It would be an extreme re- reaction, but I understand that one. What about a football team? Liverpool um, and the mighty Southport FC. So growing up as a kid, I used to have a season ticket at Southport, but I'd get to Anfield with my uncle who had uh, two season tickets, one for him and one for my cousin. Uh, so I grew up supporting Southport and Liverpool. Spent more time when uh, money was a bit tighter, uh, going to watch Southport just for the, the value and, and how, how cheap it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, now I try and get to Anfield a few times a season when I'm back, either just before I leave in August or, or generally the winter games during Christmas time. Um, obviously, 30, 30 years without a title has just ended, so it's a good time to be a Liverpool fan. Um, That's a very good time to be a Liverpool fan. Yeah. Um, it probably is important now just to note that we would typically be recording from Liverpool and from Qatar, which is one of our big selling points in our introduction to the podcast. However, at the moment, you're currently home for summer. Yeah, absolutely. We're we finished the on Thursday. From yeah. To Liverpool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Final question from what, and what I don't think was that quick fire in the end, but that's okay. Um, a favourite film or TV show? Favorite. I've always enjoyed the Batman trilogy. I'd always put them at, at the top of my list. Um, probably out of the three, I uh, most uh, enjoy the Dark Knight. I think that's an unbelievable film. So I, I put the Batman trilogy high up on my list uh, of favorite films. Nice. I can see that. Um, and I suppose that concludes your. Yeah, a bit of a grilling there. To be you. honest, it's like, it's like nothing's changed. Back to being grilled. Questions, question and answers. That's the sort of thing that, you know, children do. And I think I used to do that anyway. I'd pop into your room for two minutes yeah. and I'd leave about 45 minutes later with not a lot done. But that's yeah. It. Cherry Pepsi Max and a bag of Mao and pinballs and not much marking. <laughs> and a lot of toothache. I remember you had a low-key toothache for a very long time and didn't Yeah, about four years. I had that toothache for, yeah, in the end, uh, which was probably not ideal, but there you go. That's what happens when you like so a cherry now. Right, do you want me to ask you some questions then? Table uh, turn. Yeah, why not? Let's go for that. So I've got some similar ones and I've got some uh, some different ones as well. Uh, how would you describe yourself as a teacher? Um, I, on a romantic sense, would like to consider myself an ideal balance between Trunchbull and Miss Honey. Um, firm, what? fair, fun, without the, uh, the chokey. Yeah, um, <laughs> always good. But generally, um, as a teacher, I'd like to say that you can tell I'm a teacher when I walk in the room. Um, I think I'm someone who just loves her job through and through, um, especially if something I'm doing directly benefits a child. I'm very big on that. Um, and I pride myself on my ability to use real life context for learning. Um, I'm really, really big on. Yeah, I definitely say that's your biggest strength. Thank you. From what? From some of the stuff we did. Uh, linking into that was was amazing wasn't it when you think back to some of the lessons that we did and they generally came from you you have that real high quality ability to to know what actually interests the children not what we think will interest the children 
the and get them engaged. They were always on board in your class, weren't they? No matter which class you taught. Yeah, um, I think I think that was quite good. And I think for me, something that I found really important is when you start teaching, you often see or find these really, really good activities that you're desperate to use. But if you have to shoehorn it into a national curriculum aim, it's not good quality. Um, yeah. And I think over time, you develop that ability to kind of see something that's happening in the world around you or see something that the children are interested in and link it to a curriculum aim without literally forcing it in there. So, for example, something I remember on a smaller scale children really enjoying was when the floss dance move came out. And I'm notoriously really, really bad at choreography. I really struggle to follow a visual pattern in that way. So I got the children to write algorithms and instructions for teaching me how to floss which is really good for um, language that required imperative verbs. It was really good for sequencing and ordering text and things like that. And that was really successful. But we've done some daft things. I mean, we've turned our year group into an ice cream parlor. We wrote to the children pretending we were NASA. Um, Wacky Races for DT was a really, really good one because we showed the children something that we enjoyed from our childhood. And they really built on that. And I remember we did that with the first year six group you had which is bringing your class up and that yeah, was yeah. a really good way to sort of they made some amazing they made some amazing um cars and stuff didn't they yeah it was and incredible. then the best thing about that was watching uh lynn smashing them with water bombs absolutely nailing them as they were going around the obstacle course no mess. amazing but it was brilliant it was a brilliant project that and some of the children who maybe we did who'd maybe struggled at times really embraced that i always remember beth and she she'd had a tough introduction to to life at, at school and she absolutely smashed it she was so good during that and it was amazing to see her enjoying herself and coming into school with a smile on her face and i think that's what those lessons do isn't it, it just allows children to feel engaged by what's going on and we're, we're still doing the same objectives and still teaching the same thing but they're happier to be there which is really nice absolutely it goes at that better route and I think just my final note on sort of who I am as a teacher I think um for me and linking to what you've just said I, I grew up quite a vulnerable child I'd say I was one of those children that had to be sort of kept an eye on I was free school meals you know I came from a difficult sort of family circumstance and for me school was a sanctuary and it was a safe place and it was something that I really loved to be in and I used to dread the summer holidays because it was six weeks six weeks away from my favorite place I think I like to embody that in my teaching now of you know being that person and just showing children how great your academic years are because I think school is a really wonderful environment to sort of learn and to grow and to have fun and that's what I aim for yeah and just build on that then to tell us a little bit about how you ended up in teaching we've touched on it briefly with with talking about me and my routine because ours were very similar but you want to just build on that and talk a little bit more about how you ended up where you are yeah so um I kind of grew up um I grew up in the northeast and um, like I said tough family circumstances and school for me was my really safe place and I think when I was about maybe eight nine years old I realized hang on, you know, these teachers are all adults with jobs and this is what they do and this is what their life is. And, you know, they could be here for 20, 30 years in this career for all I know. And I obviously know that that's longer. Um, So that was kind of it for me. That was the only thing I wanted to do. And my parents, you know, would often be like, is there anything else you're interested in? Just because they, my mum was really keen on sort of me exploring any avenue that I could. And I was quite able in school and I really enjoyed myself. And that's kind of it. So there was no other real option. So I went to university. I moved to Liverpool in 2009. So I've been here nearly 10 years now. Um, and I did an English linguistics and literature degree where I got to focus on the sort of areas of language development I was interested in. I got to do the a lot of books and literature that I enjoyed because I was really keen on making sure that those three years were for me. And I wasn't interested in doing that three year primary route that other people do. So I did that. Yeah, no, I felt the same. And I um I worked as a teaching assistant for a year, which I think was really integral for me. It really made me see sort of the different levels and foundations around school and you know, it takes up a village to bring a child. And I think it really helped me see the massive importance in having a strong support team in your classroom or just outside of the classroom really. Um and from there I went to JMU for the first year of school direct. And I ended up working at the school that I then spent five years at. It, it it was a comfortable place to be. 
definitely but it was one where I felt really challenged and stretched so I didn't feel like I needed to move on just yet so I ended up spending my training year there my NQT year there and then I did three or four more years until um I kind of wanted to see what the world was about it's not something that I'd gotten to do and it was something I was keen for so I put my notice in and a year later I took a one-way flight to Thailand and I spent five months traveling Southeast Asia with my partner um, seeing a lot of good things doing a lot of good things um, I visited a few schools and um, particularly one in China and um, that was amazing and then I found myself in Melbourne May 2019 and I worked there until a few months ago when I um, had to fly home because my visa ended but I worked in a really gorgeous all boys private school at that point and that was a magnificent experience very different to what I was experiencing in the UK um but I feel like it gave me a bit more breadth to my teaching and yeah here I am now yeah okay I think that leads me into to my next question because obviously one of the things we're we're doing here is we're kind of connecting people who are maybe working abroad with with what's going on in the UK with me being out of the country. But my, my sort of last question before we do the quick fire ones was what, what lessons did you learn on your travels? What were the biggest differences that you saw between what was going on in the schools in China and Australia compared with, compared with what you saw in the UK or what you are seeing in the UK? That's a good question. So I think when I was actually traveling, um, personally, I gained so much. I think it's really important to seek your own happiness. And I think over the years, and I think it's very easy for any teacher to do, I got stuck in a cycle of I'd wake up, I'd go to the gym for 6am, I'd be in school for just after 7, I'd leave at 6, I'd get home for 7, half 7, depending on the trains. And as we know, Mercy Rail sometimes lets down. I would <laughs> carry on a bit more work, I'd, I'd eat, I'd shower, I'd go to bed. And that would be my life cycle for a long time. So when I was travelling, I kind of learnt to enjoy the world and see a bit more of the world and also just recognize that I am more than I am in a classroom and I kind of bridge the gap between who I am at home and who I am as a teacher because I always like myself so much more when I'm in the classroom and I think that's a wonderful thing but I also think it's quite dangerous to not have that decent view of yourself as a person anyway so I kind of bridge that so by the time I got to schools abroad I was in a really good place mentally um key things I learned from working in Australia mainly were that the value of teachers there um, is just insane even financially I was getting paid more than double I'd never seen so much money in my life um, on that level but yeah um, I can vouch for that as well there's a lot of precedents in Australia particularly in my experience of the Victorian curriculum within Melbourne on project-based learning and inquiry-based learning they tend to follow the um, the IB program so there was a lot of child freedom there. And I found that really interesting in terms of developing my work as a, like someone who can develop teamwork skills, I'd say, because at home, we're very prescriptive with what the children do in terms of teams and we guide them a lot. Whereas the IB program there expects you to fade away as a teacher almost and be there as like a guidance, um, if that makes sense. So I'd teach them the skills and then they'd have a few weeks where I would essentially facilitate in the classroom. And I had a, I had a really good time with that because I could scaffold where I needed, but I could also observe a lot of natural leadership and a lot of people who fall into natural roles within the team, because obviously not everyone's born to be a leader. Some people are very content with following the guidance of others. And I found that a really humbling experience. And I'm hoping when I get, back into school come September because obviously we have the COVID situation at the moment that I can embrace that level of giving children that bigger sense of autonomy I think when we've got such a packed curriculum in the UK it can sometimes be a bit daunting wanting to give them freedom because you know how much you've got to get through and the pace that you've got to work at but I feel like that's something that I could probably give children a lot more credit for. Yeah, that's something that we've been working on at our school as well. We've, we've we're trying to collapse the timetable a lot more and be a lot more fluid with our with our teaching and teaching through projects mm-hmm. and questions as opposed to discrete subjects. It's working uh, well at times. We've we've still got we're still on a bit of a journey to sort of master what it looks like for us as a school. But um, the way that the children engage in those lessons when they're given the the autonomy to make choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really start to see that intrinsic motivation, that passion for learning coming through. So it's something that uh, at times I've really enjoyed, but it is challenging. Um, 
especially when we, we plan uh, across six classes because we have six classes in each year group. So mm-hmm. planning when children are leading learning and doing collaborative planning uh, can be quite tough, but it, it's been something that's definitely been different for me as well, something that I've had to, mm-hmm. to learn and adapt to and enjoyed as well. Yeah, that's good. We'll do some the, the same quick fire ones then. Uh, colour? Um, I'm called Jade, so it can only be green for me, I'm afraid. No Absolutely nailed it. Animal? Um, I'm a big fan of a giraffe um, and also a big fan of a flamingo. Well, why flamingo? Um, partially because they're a really vibrant colour and I'm not too big on birds, so like the likeliness of me coming up close to a flamingo isn't there. Um, I quite like to admire them from afar and also I learned that they're only pink because of their diet and I think that's incredible. Well, that's something I, and I now know that I didn't know. Podcast is working well. Food? Um, I'm a big fan of a donut, but I'm gluten-free, so I can't actually have them very often. But every now and again, that glorious gluten-free donut comes in. But in terms of a sort of main meal, some sort of roast dinner, lamb, Jafanoir potatoes, tennis and broccoli yeah. is absolutely bang on for me. Love it. Football team, we have um, touched on it. Yeah, I'm a diehard Middlesbrough fan. Um, they're my red team, despite living in Liverpool. Um, likewise with you, I grew up with a family who watch a lot of football. My mum will watch any team play. Um, so a lot of our Saturdays growing up, there was TV on in the background or there was the radio on in the background. And um, I've been to the Riverside more times than I can count over the years, a lot of the time being disappointed. Um a lot of times. Yeah, but we celebrated our first win in a long time the other day because we've got Neil Warnock. Hopefully, yeah, that's a bit random, wasn't it? Yeah, poor big change. Poor old Woodgate, um, gone. Yeah, I love my team. There's something I'm really passionate about, and actually, something that I've kept from my time working in Liverpool before I left to go away was one of your children actually wrote a report about Middlesbrough yeah, because for some yeah, reason yeah. he decided to support Middlesbrough, and his dad's really good. He took him to games and everything so he wrote me this big report that I kept on my whiteboard for about two and a half years before I left I remember that yeah that was uh, probably his longest piece of writing ever wasn't it yeah and it, at the it time. ended up for me which I was very pleased with obviously you yeah. guided it but I, I kept it which was great he, he loved it. it that was that was the first time we ever really had him engaged as a writer it was um, it was brilliant to see him he, he he made loads of progress over that those two years but the writing was always a challenge, but he loved that piece. And that the uh, the last one, the film. Um, so my favorite film is probably Atonement. Um, Ian McEwan's one of my favorite writers of all time. Um, partially a war novel, partially a story about perspective. Um, I think that every word that Ian McEwan writes counts. I think he's not very floral. He doesn't embellish things too much, and it translated beautifully onto film and I absolutely love Kira Knightley so for me it's sort of the perfect film Excellent Thanks very much um, Thanks for uh, asking me some questions about myself as well so hopefully the people who are listening who maybe already know us have learnt something different and hopefully those who don't know us are all listening and thinking yeah I can quite get on with these I two. would love to listen to 5,000 more episodes of these two fine individuals that's what everyone's thinking right now I would Yeah say. of course and I think maybe something that we should say about each other um, just to keep people anticipated for that mid-season episode drop that we were talking about. Um, we're both quite big on Harry Potter. Yes, for sure. Um, yeah. I'd consider myself a Ravenclaw. I don't, I don't. I always assume you're a Slytherin, but I don't know. What would you say you were? <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> Surely not. Uh, but, but yeah, no, to be fair, I mean, like I, I have been known to sort of bend the rules a bit. Um, I, I do sort of value victory over pretty much everything yeah, else. You're so, also very yeah. logically minded is where I was going for. I was going for uh, positive like, You know, there there are some notable good Slytherins within that roster. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, well, we do have, a, I would say, probably a slightly controversial opinion on Hogwarts, don't we? So that will be um, something to, to listen out for, I'm sure. Episode five, coming soon. Absolutely. We've just got to get through episodes two, three, and four first. <laughs> yeah. But we'll get yeah. there. All um, So the next plan is, Martin, we're just going to end that little bit about ourselves, and then we're going to move into um, a section where we'll be talking about questions or misconceptions or myths about the teaching world. Or Can't wait we for this will bit. be answering a question. So at this point, I'm just going to reach out to our 
intended audience and just say that if you have a question or if you have something that you'd like us to discuss or debate between ourselves I'm sure you would um, if you just send us a message on at teach Air podcast via Instagram for now um, and we'll give it a go yeah I'm sure we will I'm excited for this bit because there's a lot of things that I think we can probably address that we're that we'll be able to kind of change people's opinions on I would hope Absolutely. And I know we've got a lot of opinions that we like to talk about. So this is the perfect outlet for that. Yep. We're at the part of the episode where we'd be talking about a misconception or a myth or an idea that someone has about teaching or teachers. Now that could come from a teacher themselves or that might come from a parent or someone not connected to education at all. We might even take it from news that we see that week. Um, as we know, teachers get talked about an awful lot, particularly during this time of COVID-19. Um, today, we've got an opinion from a girl that we used to work with when I reached out on my personal Facebook and through at Teacher on Instagram. We asked what misconceptions had and we had a really good response from her about parental expectation. Just for the sake of the listeners, I think this is our third time recording this bit and um, the weather yeah. is not playing ball with us. So if the cut across sounds a bit dodgy on our first episode, that's probably why. Bear um, with us. Yeah. Rebecca, we worked with and she was in Key Stage 1 and we've always been in Key Stage 2. So to get her perception is quite interesting because it's not maybe something I've hugely thought about before, I've got to say. Um, so her misconception or her idea was she said that often parents don't have a full and appreciation of what we are teaching and what we're meant to teach so she said that there's often thought that we simply teach the curriculum when in fact we do a lot more no I can I completely agree with Rebecca I think that particularly in primary we um where we spend so much time with one set of children on one class we are forever um working on different skills uh, particularly I think sharing teamwork, collaborating, um, all of those interpersonal skills, the ability to, to focus on what look, that looks like, talking about choices. If you're doing art activities, it's teaching people how to be safe with the scissors and stuff like that. I think we, we spend so much time doing that. The, the planning and, uh, and the content coverage it is done through our professionalism and we, we do that in our planning time. But actually in lessons, it's those teachable moments that are generally not nothing to do with the objective that you're covering. It's actually uh, a lot more about teaching them how to be good young people um, who can access the wider world and the, and the community and stuff. So I, I completely agree. And I'd probably only say it might be different if we asked the secondary teacher. I'd be really interested to hear from any secondary teachers who my perception is that they maybe uh, are more content focused and perhaps in primary we're a little bit more developing that holistic uh, sense of, of of the child and teaching them all the things that they need to to be successful um, as young people I don't know what what do you think I think it's one of those things where I think um when I think back to primary school I can't remember a lot of lessons necessarily and I think that stings a bit when you're a teacher and you think oh god my kids aren't going to remember what I taught them but I think you're right I think we teach the curriculum and we provide that foundation for them getting to high school where they really hone in on their knowledge and their skills and their way to debate for example but I do think a huge responsibility that we have is to make sure that they um they have that foundation in terms of their motor skills and the skills in using their body and their awareness and the interpersonal skills and I think that's where we almost get underestimated really because the things that we teach are things that the children will still be using well into their 70s um, yeah. we, we do develop a lot of lifelong skills that secondary then hone in on I'd say um, one of my best friends is a high school English teacher and we've got him on in a couple of episodes and I know that he does a lot of pastoral work with the children and that's something that he's really really passionate about alongside that content and I think for us especially I found this in year six that you had to strike that balance between meeting the curriculum needs, especially because we had SATs and we had that national testing pressure that we have to meet come May. But it's impossible to do that when you've got a child who's coming in from the in from the playground, having had a fight over the football or an argument with someone over, you know, not sharing the game or not feeling like they understood the rules. And we've had a lot of children with a lot of specific need where we've had to develop social stories and the skills that they need to even access and navigate a lesson 
Um, so I'd say I agree with Rebecca to an extent, but I do think in some respects as well, I do think we've got that responsibility to do so. I mean, I don't see a problem with teaching children how to cross a road. Because... So I don't think I necessarily mind teaching a child how to cross a road because I think for me that's my peace of mind as well I mean when we plan trips and we go and we do these big excursions where you do have to cross the road for example when we used to walk to swimming or if we used to go towards the lakeside where we used to do kayaking I need to know that I can trust 50 children to cross the road does that make sense yeah it definitely does and I think what I would say is this is the bit that I enjoy about teaching so uh, those moments where we do have the opportunity to teach that's the bit that I really like like to do I, I enjoy that pastoral side I think that's partly why being a primary school teacher suits me is because giving them the opportunity to learn the skills and the things that they can take from uh, a lesson that maybe was about column addition or something but they, they learn a, a skill that will translate into into real life instead that's the bit that I enjoy and I don't think that I would enjoy the job as much if that was responsibility was taken away from us so I really enjoy that side of it. Yeah, I think so. And I think there's a lot to be said for having like a discreet mentor or a discreet pastoral role within a school. And I do think with a such a strive on well-being, that's a really important thing to have, but not um, in replace of us because we've got to have that level of pastoral care. Even if we do have that big data focus, I mean, you and I know, and I know, I'm sure other teachers would agree, a lot of the time our performance management relates to attainment and it relates to data. So there is that push to make sure you've got your curriculum coverage and that your children are making progress within a lesson, but also within a unit and across the year. But we're not going to get there without that key pastoral side. The children have got to trust us. They've got to trust that we're helping them develop, like you say, beyond column addition, but within the wider span of their life, I think. Yeah, and I think as well, sometimes, you know, you, you do all that planning and, and you go through the, the process of teaching a, a lesson in your head beforehand and, and something will happen and it will take you in a completely di different direction. At times, it can be a little bit frustrating. You and I have worked primarily in upper key stage two and now I work in, in lower key stage two, but you, you will arrive into a lesson and expect that they can do something. There's an expectation that they'll be able to fold the paper in a certain way or whatever, and they can't. And sometimes it can be frustrating. Sometimes it can then completely derail a lesson. But you have to learn to be adaptable and flexible, and and go with it and teach them those skills because without them, uh, the progress that they're going to make academically will be irrelevant anyway. Yeah, and I mean, I think things like that as well. Things that come up and crop up. It's like it's like being at home. I mean, I'm not a parent myself, but things will crop up at home where you think, oh, my child doesn't know how to do that. I've got to teach that. A parent isn't necessarily going to go, do you know what? Um, I'm going to teach my children how to fold a piece of paper in quarters today. Whereas for us, that's something that actually we do anticipate or we do find like, oh, look, this table over here, I'm managing it. Um, but the other tables aren't. So we're going to send those children around to help. But I'm going to have to stand at the front now with a piece of paper and demonstrate how to fold into quarters. And those are the sort of things where you think like, oh, god like this is going to derail my progress and this is going to really slow me down and I could end up going across another lesson here when I don't have the time necessarily but it is one of those things and if we can give them that skill the once then we've given it for the next time so overall teaching things as they crop up is one of those things but it does save time and space in the future I suppose we should do anyway um it's just whether they remember it or not for the next time which um wow. exactly. as we know with, with glue and looking after resources and stuff can be quite a quite a challenge day in day out well you know I'm like with resources um, I'm one I'm known for my resources but I'm also known for teaching children how to use a resource we all know that a print stick isn't going to come cheap with us and we don't necessarily always have the budget to have one each so I always you know call out the four blobs of glue in the corner I can't stand it when you see a child wiping the whole glue across a whole piece of A4 paper so something that I always teach in September and I always end up reiterating across the year is how to stick something yeah I'm probably so less I'm probably less well known for that but um it is important it is important in a particularly in schools where resources are, are quite tight and, and budgets are, are a lot smaller than perhaps they used to be so uh, these things actually have an impact um, yeah and I suppose if you're a parent you might not think about that and you might not see but you know day to day the children are learning hundreds of things they're being exposed to hundreds of things we're expecting them to micromanage decisions all day long and that can be quite an exhausting process of those for, par for parent and teacher and child um, so I can see why some parents probably think that we don't do 
as much as we do because you know why would they they've got their own lives to be leading um but it reminds me of a time in the government i'm just bringing this up um a few years ago where they were looking at adding teeth brush into the curriculum oh uh, yeah i remember that yeah yeah and i do think at that point that's personally where i do draw my line i'd, I'd like to think that i shouldn't have to teach that however you know teeth comes into the year four science curriculum but at that point in year four we'd expect them to have that firm grasp on teeth brushing anyway yeah for sure I think anything that's going to add an extra that ha- that would have to be an extra discrete lesson on how to brush your teeth where I think what we're talking about is things that crop up within lessons that you can use as, as teachable moments but yet we haven't got the time in the pack curriculum to, to do extra lessons for um, skills that really they could be learning or should be learning um, at home it's yeah, just things that crop up as they, as they go I think unless you've got um for example, I've, you know, as you know, I've worked in an autism base before, something like that, where you're teaching in personal care. I think that has its place, definitely. But on the whole, you'd like to think that we wouldn't have to approach those things. But it's a big story, and I think that's a big issue. So I suppose we say thanks to Rebecca for bringing that up with us. Um, something that I haven't necessarily thought about at a huge extent before, so that's a good one for us. Yeah, same really, because it just crops up. We just uh, It's just something that we do. Uh, it's not, not something that we necessarily think about, but there's there's lots of misconceptions there because I possibly create another one when I, I, I mentioned about secondary straight away and my perception of secondary is that they are yeah. more content-driven uh, uh, and that could be completely wrong as well. You know, we talk, talking to your friend about the pastoral side of, of secondary and uh, perhaps I've created another another misconception there around secondary school and their uh, lack of pastoral care that, that maybe isn't the case. So I'd be interested to hear from some secondary teachers as well about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure we can pick Josh's brain about that in, I think it's like two or three episodes time. At the end of the, the first episode, Jade, how have you found it? Um, good, and I can't believe we made it. Um, I'm, I was just thinking, actually, if you remember the glory days of Daniel Beddingfield singing Gotta Go Through This, he recorded this in his bedroom, and that's where I am right now. Um, big things happen for the man, so hopefully big things can happen. Yeah, for I mean, if we, can, if we can follow in the famous footsteps of Daniel Beddingfield, I'll be ex- extremely delighted. Um, but yeah, I think uh, on behalf of Jade and myself, I'd just like to thank everybody who's um, shared our... A uh, little story shared our um, initial posts that Jade put up a couple of days ago uh, and into last week. Uh, and everybody who's listened, if you've made it this far, fair play to you. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Teach Air Podcast. Uh, and we'll be back shortly for episode two with Josh. Uh, he's going to talk about remote learning, returning to the classroom, uh, and things he'd like to leave behind. Something which we've uh, been working on at my school as well. So I'll be really interested to talk to Josh and find out a little bit from him uh, about all things remote learning. And I think it'd be good to give people a break from our voice because we'll have an additional voice next week. Yeah, very good. Very good for the for the masses. Excellent. Well, we've been Teacher and thank you for listening to episode one, Jade and Martin Defy the Distance. Mm-hmm.